The Career Competitor Podcast is brought to you by Tall Slim Tees. Guys, as someone that's always been frustrated by the way his shirts fit, either a slim fit that rides up my back or a shirt that's long enough that fits more like a poncho, I love my Tall Slim Tees as they're exactly what they claim to be, a shirt that will fit a tall, slim guy. Personally, I'm still going with my V-necks in these last remaining warmer days, but I've got a couple of longer sleeve options on standby with fall right around the corner. Made from great material that won't shrink or wrinkle in the wash, I cannot recommend Tall Slim Tees enough. And if my recommendation wasn't enough, head to tallslimtees.com now and enter promo code CAREER10 at checkout. That's the word career and the number 10. And you can enjoy 10% off your purchase. With 22 great colors to choose from across a wide variety of styles, guys, I'm telling you, head to tallslimtees.com today, enter promo code CAREER10 at checkout, and enjoy a shirt that fits you the way it's supposed to. Let's get to the show. I've always said from a very young age, I am refusing to do something that I don't enjoy on a daily basis. That was a number one priority for me. Hi there, everyone, and welcome back to the latest installment of Career Competitor with me, Steve Meller, and as a member of the CG Sports Network, we are the show that seeks to light the competitive fire within you in order to succeed within your career. This episode is a great example of having someone from a niche field and role joining us with messages that can be applied across just about any other walk of life. But before I introduce her, let me take a second to request a couple of things from you. Firstly, go give us a follow at Korea underscore competitor on Instagram so you can see more information on our guests, enjoy some behind-the-scenes video of the interviews, and most recently, you will have the opportunity to reply to my Food for Thought Friday, where I offer my teachable takeaway from the episode, and as listeners, you have the chance to let me know your thoughts. Secondly, if you haven't subscribed or rated the show yet, I would love it if you wouldn't mind doing so and of course take the time to share episodes with people as well so we can keep spreading the great messages from our guests each and every week now on to our guest and i had the fortune a couple weeks ago to sit down and speak with hannah huseman who is currently working as the mental skills and performance coach with the philadelphia phillies within major league baseball her background within sports came in the sports of basketball and softball before she set out on what she feels was her calling to move into the mental performance field. I always consider myself fortunate when I get a chance to sit down with someone that works within either the mental performance or mental health field as they provide insight fitting for all listeners as they are providing a service that is looking to build a clearer and more positive version of ourselves, helping us become, in other words, our optimal selves, which is what this show is all about. Pay attention to the clarity Hannah speaks with in relation to the work she is doing, as it's obvious that she sees the impact her work has on her players, as well as people away from baseball. In addition to my keys to success at the end of the episode, Hannah provides a couple of fantastic pieces of advice as well. You have so many reasons to hang around at the end. But for now, let's jump right into this episode of Career Competitor with Hannah Huseman, and I hope you all enjoy
Okay, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome on Hannah Huseman to the Career Competitor Podcast. Hannah, first and foremost, on this early Friday morning, how are you? I am good, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk all things mental game this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm just as excited to hear all about it. I think for me personally, as someone that's working in sports myself, I have a huge huge appreciation for the work that you do i know the impact of it can have a huge impact on results in terms of just the small percentages and i will certainly get into that uh, specifically with the the role that you're in today so without me uh trying to describe what that role is why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what it is you're doing today yeah so my title is a mental skills coach sometimes you hear it as mental conditioning coach mental strength coach sometimes you hear it as sports psychologist but I specifically am a mental skills coach, which they all, for the most part, mean the same thing. Um, Sometimes people who call themselves a sports psychologist actually fall into the mental health realm. Mm. And so there's mental health and there's mental performance. And those are two pretty separate things, right? So mental health is your, is your clinical psychology, right? That's your, your um, anxiety, clinical depression, um, suicidality, eating disorders, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And mental performance is more on field based performance factors. So anything and everything that you could potentially face during performance from a mental lens is what I work on. So confidence, composure, motivation, enjoyment, um, focus training, concentration, um, relaxation training, kind of all of that, basically anything that um, can affect your performance from a mental lens. So that's what I do. I am um, on year three with the Phillies, Philadelphia Phillies, uh, Major League Baseball organization. And I work with predominantly their minor league players. And um, it's mostly one-on-one work. There's a lot of group work too, but it's mostly just one-on-one conversations talking about you know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and figuring out how we can get their mind to work for them and against them. Because so truly our mind wants to work against us. And it's something we battle all the time and we get in our own way and you hear all of those things. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm there for, to help us help the mind not get in our way. And make it be an asset instead of something that could potentially hold you back yeah that's where it gets so interesting for me and always Mm -hmm. has been this very interesting thing because i'm naturally a very positive person and i think everybody in in your in your type of roles is just working diligently towards getting people to think as positively as optimistically with as much confidence as possible and and trying not to create these thoughts these versions of things let's say these perspectives in their minds that are going to present a different experience for themselves and and not have confidence and have doubt and and, and be a little daunted by whatever the the competition is that's coming up and it it is such a fascinating thing because it almost sounds like so much of the things that you're trying to work on is getting people to eradicate the things that they actually create within their minds and uh, do so i'm sure with so many different practices, but before we start going too much uh, into your role, because you can tell already how how excited I am to learn more about it, the um, one of the great things about you too is that you come from a background in sports, and you were a double athlete, a dual athlete, however you want to put it, in college, which for someone that did one sport, I'm always sort of in awe of, but at the same time, I would love to hear your story in terms of how you got to a point in your career where you felt like you were going to hold on and keep doing two sports all the way through college? Well, I will have to say a little disclaimer. Um, I actually, so my story is super unique. Um, So I played basketball and softball my whole life. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like growing up, my brother and I, I have a younger brother 
and my parents like threw us in all the sports because we loved it and we want like if we weren't doing something like we were like hey let's play whatever sports happening at this time so um and then it turned out and ended up being my two main sports were softball and basketball and i really couldn't decide which one i wanted to play um and and really make my niche and i ended up choosing basketball and so i actually went to the university of tennessee chattanooga to play basketball Mm-hmm. And then I actually switched sports. So wow. instead of playing two, I ended up playing basketball my freshman year. And then I played softball my sophomore, junior, senior year, um, which, yes, yeah, so crazy. And uh, a pretty defining um, moment in my life of just mm-hmm. adversity and trials and tribulations and all that good stuff that I really didn't know why it was happening then. Um, and now it makes sense so much to me now because like it made me the strong person that I am. It made me um, have conversations that I didn't want to have. And um, I don't think any situation now that I get thrown into or thrown at um, is going to affect me as much as that did. So looking back, it makes total sense of why it happened. And and yeah, I ended up switching sports. Um, luckily, the Chattanooga coach had watched me a little bit in high school because I had stopped playing travel ball my senior year. And so I knew him um, not very well, but then I went into his office and I was like, Hey, this basketball thing isn't working out. Like, is there any way, like, I know yeah. I've got a ton of catching up to do because I haven't touched a softball in a year, you know? Right. And so it was a lot of catching up and grunt work and not easy, but pretty unique. But yeah, that's, that's, that's what I did. That is unique. That is unique. <laughs> I, I think the, the most interesting part about that for me is that moment where you've made that commitment prior to college saying, Hey, I'm, I'm all in on basketball. This is it. I'm doing it. And then after a year of college, suddenly there was that need to say, Oh, I think I may, I may need to go back and do softball now. And you, you referenced a few of those adversities and dealing with that. And I'm sure a lot of that came with just like you said there that having to almost not necessarily reteach yourself a sport, but certainly make up for a lot of lost time what were so what were some of the first moments for you as someone who's doing what it is you're doing today what were some of the first moments for you during that process where you started to realize the mental side of what everything i'm going through right now is a really really important component of this so it wasn't until my senior year which is super unfortunate um (laughs) but we didn't have a mental skills coach. We didn't have, I think we had a clinical psychologist on staff that was like, you know, a professor and would kind of come into the athletics and like be there. But, Mm. you know, we barely knew him. Like it was like very, like it wasn't a thing. And Mm. um, I think they were, they were trying to make it a thing, but it wasn't a thing. And so I actually had elective classes my senior year, you know, had most of my credits done, had to fill in a, a few classes. And I ended up taking like a sports psych 101 class, like intro to sports psychology. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, what is this? Why are we not learning this? Why is like, even this professor not coming and talking to our team? And and I knew, I always knew I wanted to work in sports just because I've been around sports my whole life. And it's, mm. it's what I have the most confidence in. It's what I'm most enthusiastic and passionate about, as I'm sure you are. And so mm. I was like, I just didn't know to what capacity. So my undergrad degree was in exercise science. I thought I was going to be a strength coach for a while. Um, I thought I was going to be a softball or basketball coach for a while. And none of it was really like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've always said, and I don't know why, but from a very young age, I'm like, I am refusing to do something that I don't enjoy on a daily basis. Like Mm. that was like a number one priority for me. And so I wasn't going to settle for some job that I was like, okay, I mean, maybe in the beginning, you know, and, and, 
And then I found this class and I was like, oh my God, like this is it, this is it. And I, I like dove headfirst full in and started doing a ton of research and finding grad school programs and ended up at the University of Tennessee. That's where I got my master's degree from mm -hmm. um, in sports psychology and motor behavior, which is a fancy way of how the mind and the body work together <laughs> to produce optimal performance. And right. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. And so that's, it was just an elective class. And I was like, I'm forever grateful for that professor. I'm forever grateful for that class. And ever since then, there's, there's really been no looking back, but it was, it was, it was almost too late for my personal career mm. um, playing, but it was just in time for my professional career of, of actually a career, a job. So um, it's funny how that works, but I, I wish I would have had this so much in my playing days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you're preaching to the choir. I, I, look <laughs> yeah. at, I look back at my career and just think, man, if, if I could have just had uh, an unbiased voice, let's say in my ear, yes. who could just walk through some of these things that I was dealing with. And as we mentioned at the outset, so many of those things that I, from my experience were just things that I was creating within my mind that weren't mm -hmm. necessarily even the case. Um, so mm. Yeah, so I, you know, it's also it's also why as a coach now I'm, I'm every time one of my athletes mentions anything that's remotely related to something mental, I'm I'm pushing them in that direction of of, of going to our mental health uh, people and and working yeah. with them. But you know, sticking with your your educational route, mm -hmm. you know, the the cool thing, and you said it there in sort of layman's terms, in terms of what your master's degree was, uh, you know, just getting the mind to work with the body to achieve that optimal performance. I find your that degree just incredibly cool, and I. Mm -hmm. This is one of the funnest things I have on this show is that someone will tell me their background and their story, and I hear this degree or I hear this position that they had, and they go, "Man, I wish I'd heard of that when I was twenty three, twenty four. That sounds like that sounds like something I would have totally snapped up." Uh, but in mm -hmm. terms of that experience for you, how? I mean, you mentioned that immediately. You knew this is what you wanted to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Did you know that baseball, did you know any specific sport? Did you know any specifics whatsoever in terms of where that degree might actually take you? No clue, no, no. clue. Um, I So I went into it with a very open mind because I, so I was researching particularly like academia, right? Mm. And like just getting more education and maybe being a professor or a teacher, but um, I wasn't researching like mainstream jobs and careers and there actually wasn't a ton out there because mm -hmm. the world is still being educated on the difference between mental health and mental performance. And so most universities are hiring clinical psychologists, yep. right. To deal with the mental health, which is absolutely a necessity who have some experience in sports. Mm. And so it's like, you know, get the most bang for your buck. Like, and I'll say this in front of anybody because I'm mm. anytime I talk to colleges and universities, I'm educating them. I'm like, you need at least two different people. You need mm. somebody doing this and somebody doing that. But the hard mm. part is some people have gotten a master's in sports psych and then a PhD in clinical psych. So they are certified to do both. But could you imagine like being hired by a university, 700, 800 student athletes, and you have to do both. You right. have to be a clinical psychologist and a mental, like there's no way. Yeah. Like, we have four mental performance coaches for our baseball team and we have roughly 300 players and we're like as thin as it can like stretched out as thin as sure. we can be like sure. i mean to to actually give them what they need you know mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. impossible and so it's a little disheartening to see that most of the jobs in the university settings are clinical based um mm -hmm. but some some of them who really know and have it going on i'm not sure what it's like at lsu but um, have mental performance coaches solely for mental performance. So, um, 
it wasn't until after that. And I was like, kind of open. I'm like, I'm going to take whatever job there is. I'm going to take the best opportunity there is. Hopefully mm. it's in sports, um, you know, because it is technically performance psychology, which doesn't have to be in sports. It's in life. It's in, I've worked with business executives, firefighters, actors, you know, so it's not just sports. It's any level of high performance, which is, you could technically argue all of us are high performers sure, in some sure. way, shape or form. If you're a parent, you're a high performer. Yep. If you're a spouse, you're a high performer, you know? Yeah. So um, I love that piece of it too, but I was really just looking for the best opportunity. I did a, I did a golf internship with an international golf academy. Um, I did a strength and conditioning internship. I did. And then my first internship out of grad school was with the Pittsburgh Pirates because they had a mental performance internship. And I didn't think I was going to get it. Long story short, I um, ended up getting it. And so that was kind of my foot in the door to baseball. But I think baseball really just worked out because of all the professional sports, I think they're leading it in opportunities and buy-in and mental performance becoming a part of the culture. And so it was like, it was, it was kind of great that it was one of my, up my right up my alley, but um, it wasn't intentional. I was going to take the best opportunity out there. And it just so happened that that was in baseball. So, and I actually worked with a private practice for a year and a half too. And that was awesome too. Um, in between my two baseball gigs. So mm. I've kind of been around a little bit in different entities, but baseball is pretty awesome. And and it's just, it's, it's cool to not have to like constantly sell yourself to like outside clients to try to build that on a daily exactly. basis. Yeah. Like you're there, you're showing up, they're paying mm -hmm. you. And it's mm -hmm. like, now it's up to the players to come to you. So you still are to a certain extent, but it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. Just, just so many thoughts in terms of what you were talking about there. And uh... Before before I get too much into baseball, I, I, I'm because I'm so passionate about this topic of, of just mental health and mental performance. You know, how long how long has it been since you graduated with your master's degree? Five years, six years? Yeah, about five years. Five years. Mm -hmm. So, and, and again, you know, everything within the the mental scope of within sports, I think, has changed so much in the five years. And there's still so much room for change. There's still so much mm -hmm. more improvement to be made. In mm -hmm. in your opinion, you know from what you've seen through your five years of experience now, is it more so just a lack of professionals available to work within the sports or is it more still, is there still this refusal to sort of accept the, the benefit of having these professionals in the sports? Yeah, I don't think there's a lack of people in the field. I think, cause we have, so the big, the, what you, the umbrella of what we do. So, technically there's one certification to be a mental performance coach and it's the CMPC, which is a certified mental performance coach, which is through ASP, which is the association for applied sports psychology. And that's okay. kind of the like set standard for the field. Hmm. Um, but that is still growing. And so not everybody like, you know, people are arguing that you don't even need that. And some people hmm. are like, no, you do need it. And so it's still like, fighting for that to be the set standard. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like, but you go to an ASK conference every year and there's thousands of people there, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big conference. And so I think there's practitioners out there. I think it's more so willing to allocate money towards something that's new. And right. that's like, especially in the university setting, like, yes, mental health is important, and I think we're giving money to that or we're pulling psychology professors over to be that person. But are you willing to actually pay a mental performance coach to help our athletes be as strong mentally as they can? And, you know, a lot of coaches claim that they can do it. And I believe that. I believe a lot of coaches know a lot of like your experiences alone are 
probably mental technique sure. that I would say the same thing to. But now we have trained professionals who went to school for that, that like are trained in that and experts in that, that like without a doubt are going to know more than somebody who hasn't been through that. Like even like the coach who's been in the league in major league baseball for 30 years, like we'll have conversations and he's like, oh yeah, that sounds familiar. But then the way I can do it, the way I introduce it is different. And so I think, I think it's still the nuance of now we actually have people who only focus on this and mm -hmm. teach this and our experts in this. And now we need to add that to our repertoire, just like a long time ago, strength and conditioning coaches were few and far between, and now they're everywhere yep. and, and nutritionists and, mm -hmm. and mental skills. I think it's all in that same category. And I'm hopeful that we, I mean, it's already growing from the time, like, like you said, five years ago, when I got my first internship, like that was the only internship at that time. Wow. And it was the first internship with the pirates. I was the mm -hmm. first intern there. <laughs> and now it's like, Every, every baseball organization has like minimum of two people on staff, up, upwards of seven and eight people on staff just for mental performance. Awesome. Well, mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear it's. I'm glad to hear it's more that because that's something that yeah. is realistically something that can and definitely be incorporated, improved upon. Uh, yeah. and sticking now with baseball on this show specifically, we're all about trying to fire people up to seek that extra level of competitiveness within the work that they do in order to make those small improvements maybe one or two percent in their game one or two percent in their career baseball is a game of fractions and percentages and in terms of the impact you're able to potentially have that can be the difference between someone and you said a lot of your work is with minor leagues and that's a, a really interesting part of this is that that could be the difference between getting someone from the minor leagues and not getting from the minor leagues. That can be the difference mm -hmm. between someone being a starter and, and not getting that opportunity to start very often. So with that being said, what sort of work is it that you're doing to help these guys maybe find that extra 1% or 2% in their performance on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it comes down to actually giving time to training the mental side of your game. Um, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in all of the physical stuff they have to do, right? Mm. From individual work to strength and conditioning, to group work, to playing the actual game, to hitting after the game, right? It's like 99% of their day is constant physical grind. Mm. And I always say, you know, could you imagine if you worked your tail off and physically you were ready and you got to the big leagues and mentally you choked? or mentally you weren't ready like could you imagine like i was like one i'd feel like i failed and two i can't imagine like you worked so hard physically and so i was like we have to make sure we're not neglecting all of the mental aspects of your game and i think sometimes that's hard because when things are going well you're not concerned about the mental aspects of your game exactly it's when things are going poorly when you're all of a sudden hit the panic button mm -hmm. and if if i haven't built that relationship with you before you're hitting the panic button it's going to be more difficult to help in that way and that's why I think mental skills is most effective when used with a, in a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach, right? Like we're going to meet constantly because I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to help you. I am literally here to continue for you to get stronger, to get just like your other coaches, right? Yep. Just like you don't go to your hitting coach only when you're hitting bad. Yep. You go to him when you're hitting well and you're like, hey, how can I get better? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, same with me. Like, don't come to me just when you know, what's hitting the fan, like come yeah. to me before let's like, if you're performing well, how about we dissect why you're performing well, 
Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about that? Right. Let's not just chalk it up as a win and see you later. Like, let's actually talk about that. And I think like even little things like that. And like you said, like in your career, if you could have had someone just to bounce ideas off of like a huge part of my job is literally just talking to people, figuring out where they're at and then almost reminding them of something that they used to do that they're not doing now. Or, hey, you're getting a little outside of your norm, what you normally do. I think you need to reel it in a little bit and do this. And so it's it's almost just having that unbiased, trustworthy, I have no stock in you. I have no opinion on if you get released or not with our organization. Like it's totally trust. And you can come in and be, I don't don't trust this. And I don't know why, like, I'm not confident in this and I need help with this or, Mm -hmm. and I'm feeling really good and I don't want to lose this. How do I keep this? What am I doing? Right. Cause I'm not even aware of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, I, I think that's the, to me, and obviously I'm biased in, in the mental aspect of the game, but I think that's, the biggest separator and what gets people up the fastest because everyone's going to fail. Like you said, it's a game of numbers and we're constantly mm-hmm. looking at the outcomes, even though we know we shouldn't be looking at the outcomes, but it's, it's how can you still have that human reaction of looking at the outcomes and dissecting your performance, but be able to respond to that reaction as fast as possible in a helpful way. That's going to help your performance instead of hurt your performance. And it's the people who it takes, days and weeks and maybe months to figure it out that get behind versus someone who's like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to, by the end of the day, I'm going to be in a better mindset and I'm choosing to do that. And I'm choosing to see that this isn't defining me um, or my performance. And, Mm -hmm. and how can you shorten that time in between the stimulus and the response is a huge part of what I do. Um, And I think a pretty big separator. For sure. And I think the proactive versus reactive component of, everything in regards to mental performance mental health is that for, for me as an advocate for it is the most frustrating part of the dialogue and, and for you as a professional within it you must bang your head against the wall so much <laughs> when it comes to just the the sheer fact that in every other capacity of health if you want to call it people aren't necessarily reactive they're a lot more proactive people have a Mm -hmm. annual visit to the doctor people get their Mm -hmm. teeth checked out twice a year you know all Mm -hmm. these sort of things these are proactive things and Mm -hmm. for some reason it's like well if i'm not depressed why would i go and see a therapist Mm -hmm. and for someone who has and i always talk about this been going to a therapist now for the better part of five or six years amazing i'm I'm fine. I'm good. I'm doing great with my life. And when I tell people that sometimes, is, is everything okay? It's like, everything's great. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. You know, I'm I'm pretty short on sleep. I got a six week old child right now. So I'm pretty short on sleep. <laughs> aside yeah. from that, aside from that, I'm doing okay. Uh, and, and a big part of that relationship with my therapist is exactly what you said in terms of I can just mention something and he can then reference something that happened a couple of years ago and just sort of bring that back into my forefront that I may have forgotten about. And be able to just sit Love down it. and say, oh, yeah, you're right. That That is something I've gone through before. Or that is something I can pull from that proves that, hey, I can deal with this. You know, this isn't as big of a, a mountain to climb as I may have thought so. And I think, you know, you, you're allowed to be biased in terms of the impact that <laughs> mental performance and mental health can have. But your role as someone who is unbiased is huge in terms of an athlete's just performance in general. And, and this is everything that I... I'm such an advocate for when it comes to the mental side of really every aspect of life and why I really just enjoy hearing about 
everything that you're doing and you we referenced before as well that you've done some work with with firefighters and business executives and even people within the performance arts i think as well like yeah. all, all of these mm-hmm. sort of different capacities you know for people listening to to our discussion here is there maybe one takeaway that you could provide people and just say hey you know the, the common the common piece of advice or something that is pretty consistent that i try to provide to people across all these different domains is what would that be i have to pick just one <laughs> uh, how about two i'll give you two <laughs> <laughs> um no i think so pretty common themes are Oh, to summarize it all, I would say one is getting into the present moment. Um, I think whether you're an actor, whether you're a firefighter saving lives, whether you're a performer, so often we're caught up in past performances when we didn't do well, right? Very rarely are we thinking about past performances when we crushed it, right? right? It's always the negative or, or majority of the time the negative or worrying about what's going to happen in the future and what's going to happen in this next at bat or this next play or rehearsal or whatever it is. And very rarely are we in the present moment. Like even as regular human beings, day in and day out, like we're rarely in the present moment, mm-hmm. right? We're always thinking about these other things. And the crappy part about that is it's easier to think about the future and the past. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be in the moment. And we That's perform true. better when we're in the present moment. Mm-hmm. We enjoy more when we're in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So how do we get into the present moment as much as we possibly can? That's my that's my number one thing I advise from the greatest athlete I've ever worked with to the greatest friend that I have that's not sure. an athlete yeah. is get into the present moment because everything in your life is going to change from that. You're mm-hmm. going to be a better significant other, a better new dad, a better driver. You're going to be mm-hmm. a better cook, a better conversationist. You know, mm-hmm. like like it's it's mind blowing how your life can change just by being in the present moment. And so, and I mean, imagine enjoying what you do more like don't you want to enjoy everything you do more like who doesn't and you do that by getting in the present moment right because it's usually constant worry when you're in like stress mode about the future or Mm -hmm. worrying about the past and stressing and so it's the way to create that is getting into the present moment so that's my first thing and then i think one of the things that derails us from being in the present moment is spending all of our time and all of our energy and all of our effort on the things that are outside of our control, Mm. which I don't know about your world, but in the baseball world, most things are outside of our control in the life world that we live in, especially living through a pandemic. Most things are still outside of our control. So true. And so in like most of the time when people are stressed or upset or anxious or anything, and you break it down, it's almost always something that can't be controlled by them. And so it's choosing to take a step back and realize I'm giving myself, my time, my energy, my vibing, right, to these things that I can do nothing about. Mm -hmm. And if we can shift that and figure out what can you do about certain situations and give your whole self to that, I think you're going to see a shift in in almost everything because you feel like you're in more control, which we want to be in control of things. It's a natural desire as humans. And, And so when you get towards that, and you give your energy and effort towards the things you actually can do something about you're more empowered you're 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 you feel more confident you feel like you're actually getting things done you feel like you're actually making an impact instead of you know the hamster on the wheel just keeps going and going and going and nothing's changing because you're worried about all the things that you really can't control or do anything about True. and so instead of worrying about all these things that we can't do anything about 
let's give all of our time, all of our energy, all of our effort to the things that we can't control, which is usually like one to three things. And so it's, <laughs> it's pretty simple and it's laid out right in front of you. Yeah. Um, so I think those two things are very common themes. If I don't talk about being in the present moment or letting go of the things you can't control on a daily basis, that's a weird day because <laughs> it's like, even for myself, right? Like yeah. it's a weird day if those two topics don't come up. That's funny. Um, yeah. you know, before I, before I forget to say this, if anyone's listened to this and you're hearing yourself in those two things and say, man, I struggle with being in the present moment and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really guilty of, of getting sidetracked by things I can't control. Please, please, please do something about it. Yes. Go make an appointment with someone. Go find an opportunity to speak to someone. It, it will not be a waste of your time. It won't. <laughs> it, it is It is so useful. So just understand that that is the first, absolutely the, the paramount point that I want to make here. Secondly, I have to say that from an advice standpoint, I probably cover those two things every day with in my role as a coach. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and and one of my favorite examples to give is when I work out about two or three times a week, I'll do jump rope. And if I allow myself not to be present, then I actually lose control of the jump rope and I, mm-hmm. I get caught or I you know, whatever it is. And when I'm at my most present doing jump rope, I can go minutes and minutes and minutes without stopping. And for I love me it. Yeah, and, and for me I've I've used that I've used that example with athletes and, and people in my life before and when you started talking, um, I immediately went back about two hours because I woke up this morning, I did some jump rope and <laughs> I started thinking about our interview. I started thinking about our interview and what happened? I got caught on the jump rope. And, 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 and you know, it's just, it, for, for me, the, 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 the timing of what you're saying is, is just, is just, just hilarious and, and wonderful to me. And I had to make that, uh, make that connection. But Hannah, listen, it. you know, in, in, in terms of just everything that you've been talking about here, just wonderful stuff. I appreciate all of it. One thing I do want to give you the opportunity to do is just tell people a little bit more about where they can maybe one, find out about you. But I also know that you do Mental Sweat Monday. Is that right? Uh, so tell, <laughs> yep, people, tell right. people what that is. So Mental Sweat Monday, that's a hashtag. Um, yep. But it is the title of a one minute video on mental performance that I post every Monday on Instagram and Twitter and and LinkedIn now. And it started because social media is like inundated with like physical sweating and make sure you're working out every day and do your yoga every day and walk every day, right? And all, which is great. And you should do those and you should listen to that. Um, but I felt like there was this big piece missing of mental performance. And so that's why I called it mental sweat because I wanted you to compare it to physical sweat. Break a physical sweat every day, but make sure you're breaking a mental sweat too. Do something for your mental performance or your mental health every single day. And so it's a one minute video that hopefully can set the tone for your week. It's on Mondays, which is when I think we need it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just to hopefully, it's, it's pretty broad, pretty basic, but hopefully you can take it and apply it to any aspect of your life and how mm-hmm. it's affecting you or your family or your performance, whatever it is. Um, and, and helps you grow and break that mental sweat on a daily basis. But it's on all of my feeds. Um, my Instagram's just my name, Hannah Huseman. I think my Twitter is Hannah underscore Huseman, and then LinkedIn is just my name. So shouldn't be too hard to find. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you've got time to listen to this podcast, you've certainly got one minute on a Monday to go Heck check yeah. that out uh, 100%. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> we certainly share that in common, Hannah, in terms of just sharing a message that we feel that can be applied and related to by just about anybody in any field. And I really do appreciate your time here as we've both enjoyed our coffee on a, on a Friday morning. But, uh, you know, this, is, this has been something I've been looking forward to doing. I'm glad we found time to do it. And I wish you all the very best uh, with everything you've got going on right now. And yes, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and good luck this season. Appreciate it. And my thank you again to Hannah for joining us on the show today. And as always, we'll finish with my career competitor keys to success, starting with my competitive call, which is that of self-care. When we look at our careers and lives and the amount of time we spend making sacrifices in order to get ahead or to simply keep up, we can sometimes become guilty of prioritizing things ahead of ourselves. Don't get me wrong. A selfless mindset is important to have, but it cannot be the only way we think. Self-care is a characteristic we should be looking to ensure is a primary component of who we are, as it allows for us to do the things we are expected to each day at an optimal level. Listening to Hannah's two pieces of advice of remaining present and focusing on what we can control are huge factors in self-care and things I know you all listening can relate to being guilty of failing to do at times. But if we prioritize implementing taking care of ourselves each and every day, then we will consciously strive to work on things like this and a lot of other things as well. Being available to others in order to be a great team member, employee, or supervisor is fine. Just avoid doing it at the expense of taking care of you. Next is my teachable takeaway. How are you letting outcomes define your behavior? It's important to recognize if you consider yourself to be a proactive or reactive person as this will have the biggest influence on how you behave following a potentially disappointing outcome. We heard within the interview how athletes that prioritize being proactive towards their mental strength are able to process bad results efficiently so that they can move past the outcome by the end of their day. If we wait for the adversity to arrive and then look for ways to react, it's immediately an uphill battle as we must teach ourselves the skills while also dealing with the cloud of the negative result hanging over us. So take some time, reflect on whether you are proactive or reactive and analyze how you process outcomes as well. Finally, my motivational move, find your two or three roles and do them extremely well. Going back to Hannah's message on being present and ignoring things out of your control, she referenced that by doing this, we will then be able to focus on a couple of things and do them extremely well. This was a message that hit home with me and that I had to re-emphasize and motivate you all to work on. I spent so many years believing I could fix other people's problems, perform my tasks, while also spending time analyzing other areas I could influence as well and think I could do all of this at a high level. I was wrong. In the last couple of years, I have learned the power that being present and focusing on things within my control can have on not only my performance, but my well-being too. Having that conscious thought throughout your day where you can analyze yourself doing an outstanding job within a couple of areas at a time is so important in my opinion. You can still accomplish a long list of jobs and tasks, even be available to numerous people as well. But try to focus on what is right in front of you more. Don't get sidetracked by things you cannot control and aspire to be great in the moment. 
Thank you for listening to my keys to success and for tuning into the episode as well. Be sure to stop by careercompetitor.com and connect with me through there with what you thought about the episode. Best of luck with everything you've got going on at the moment. And I look forward to speaking with you all again very soon. Bye for now.